Good morning. Um, you know, obviously the list that David had here is a partial list. There's many, many things that we need to pray for also, but one of them is rain. Our farmers are hurting, our cattlemen are hurting, our cities are hurting, and if it doesn't get better soon, it's going to be in a crisis situation. So let me just uh, lead us in a prayer, and uh, God's uh, to open up the windows of heaven and just pour out the rain that we need. Amen? Father, you, your word says not to worry about anything, to pray about everything, not to forget to thank you when you answer so, Father, you said that we don't have because we don't ask. So, Lord, we're asking today, we're asking today, Lord, that you would open the windows of heaven. And you, you, you would refresh our land, our dry and parsed land, with your rain. Thank you, Father, that you meet our every need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And you said that when we ask in faith, we're to believe but that we receive it before we actually see it. So we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for the rain that you're going to send because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, we are going to wrap up our study of faith. We could go on and on, obviously, because there's many facets of faith. But next Sunday, I want to talk about a subject that I believe is one of the most important subjects in the New Testament I believe it's one of the most important subjects to Jesus, second only to our own personal salvation. And um, so here, here's my deal. If you either have to miss today or next Sunday, don't miss next Sunday, okay? So if you have to either miss today or next Sunday, well, don't, don't miss next Sunday. All right, Lord willing. I, you know, the farmer, I used to hear this all my life, the Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Have you ever heard that? Listen, if the Lord's willing, don't worry about the creek. That creek's going to be in good shape if the Lord's willing. Amen? All right. So we're looking at faith, been looking at faith. And uh, this might surprise you, but the word faith is mentioned almost 600 times just in the New Testament. 600 times. I don't know of another word that's um, more important I mean, think about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. By faith, we're saved. When we pray, we're to pray in faith. And so we've been seeing some of the things that faith does. We, we began by looking at the definition of faith. What, what, what is faith? And then we looked at where faith comes from. Then we saw that faith will be tested. Then we saw that our faith is to be spoken. Uh, you need to speak your faith. Jesus said, speak to the mountain." and the mountain will be moved. And last week we saw that um, uh, faith must be lived out in our life. But I don't think we can leave the subject of faith without talking about the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live our lives on a spiritual mountain every day? You ever thought about that? Just on a spiritual mountaintop. I mean, flowing in the gift of the Spirit, you know, just laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover, giving prophetic words to people, you know, and seeing them being really encouraged. But the reality of the matter is we don't live on a mountaintop all the time. In fact, a lot of us live on the plains, and some of us actually live in the valleys. 
And we're kind of just trying to survive the daily challenges of life, like making the mortgage, educating our kids, and the daily problems of life. And sometimes I find myself relating to Job more than David. Now, both of them had problems and both of them had issues, but, you know, we'll look at Job again in just a moment. But, you know, Job lost everything, didn't he? He lost his family, his 10 kids. He lost, he lost everything. Now, David lost a son. Job lost his house. David lived in a castle surrounded by servants. But Job understood something, and, and I know David also did, and that's uh, he understood the faithfulness of God, that, that God would sustain him. I, I believe very strongly that sometimes God will allow us to hit rock bottom just to show us that he is the rock at the bottom. I don't know if you've ever been on the bottom. I have several times. I've been so low that I had to reach up to touch bottom. I remember the night the hospital called me and said, uh, or somebody called me and said, your, your family has been in a, a serious car wreck and all three of your family is in the emergency room. And um, I went and heard some of the most horrible news I've ever heard about each one of my family members. And I tell people, I, I was so low, I could sit on a dime and dangle my legs. I, I just didn't. But you know, I, I, I'm able to do this. I'm able to come back and report to you that yes, I have been on the bottom, but I'm here to report to you the bottom is solid. God's at the bottom. God's at the top. Well, I want to look back at Job for just a moment. And, uh, you know, we've looked at him, but I, I don't know of a person in the Bible that displays the faithfulness of God more than him. I mean, you remember the story of Job? He uh, was a, a cattleman, I guess, or not. I don't know if he was a cattleman or not, but he owned a, a lot of uh, uh, animals. L listen, for example, it tells us that he had 7,000 sheep. You know, 1,000 sheep is a lot of sheep. I've been, I've been to Australia, and I've been on the sheep farms in Australia, and uh, man, that, that is a lot of sheep. Then he had 3,000 camels. What do you do with 3,000 camels? I mean, do you have kind of a Hertz rent-a-camel thing? I mean, you know, <laughs> that was a means of transportation in those days. The Bible says he had 500 oxen. Oxens are used to, in the field, and so he must have had a, a lot of land. And then he had 500 donkeys. My goodness, what in the world do you do with 500 donkeys? By any stretch of the imagination, he'd be an Elon Musk today. He'd be a very, very wealthy, wealthy man. But the Bible says he was also a spiritual man. The Bible says he was a righteous man. The word righteous means that he, was, he, he had a right position before God. He could stand before God as a righteous man. The Bible says he despised evil. I don't think you could have drugged him to an R-rated movie. You know why the filmmakers make R-rated movies? Because they know Christians will go see them. They know Christians will go see them, so they continue to make them. If Christians didn't go see them, they'd quit making them because they would lose money because there's a lot of Christians. He knew where his blessings came from. He was not a self-made man. You know, I, I talk to a lot of men today that claim to be self-made men. Even some preachers I know claim to be self-made 
You know, the problem I've seen in self-made men, we tend to fall in love with our maker. And they have, to a large degree. Well, everything was going well, again, for Job until Satan came along and uh, complained. You know, the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. I don't think he stopped doing that. I don't think he stopped telling God, that person right there just serves you because you're good to him. You take away some of the good things, you give it him, and you'll find out what kind of person he really is. And so God took the challenge and, and allowed Satan to take things away from Job. He took his, uh, all of his livestock, all these things we just read about. Uh, his children were killed. The building there were in collapse, and he killed all, all of his children. But God still insisted that Job is a righteous man. So, said, so Satan said, okay, let's give him the acid test. Let's, let's, let's touch his body. Skin for skin. If you'll touch his body, you'll let bad things happen to his body. He will curse you to your face. So God said, behold, he is in your hands. Just do not take his life. Now, by this time, you know, his wife had pretty much left him, told him to curse God and die. His three friends had turned against him. They accused him of having some kind of a hidden sin. Because you see, in the Old Testament, if you were prosperous, that was a sign that you were in good standing with God. That's why the prosperity preachers today mostly preach from the Old Testament, because that was the understanding in the Old Testament. If you were prosperous, the hand of God was favoring you. So when he lost all that prosperity, his three friends said, there must be some type of hidden sin in your life. But through it all, he was faithful. Here was a man that had everything that you could ever want. I'm sure he had all the money he could have ever spent. All at once we see him sitting with a piece of broken pottery, lancing the boils on his body. But through it all, he was faithful. The question is, are we? I know people that have turned away from God for much less than what Job went through. I remember my first church that... Uh, I called my first church the, person, the church that had a parsonage. I had a parsonage and $100 a week salary, and I was married. <laughs> my wife had to taught school. I'd be picking up cans alongside the road, believe me. But, uh, but there was a deacon that lived across the street from me. Great guy, good friends. And he was up in years. He wasn't a young person, but his wife died. And after his wife died, he quit going to church completely. I'd go over to his house, and I'd try to encourage him and say something to him. He'd just wave me off. I don't want to hear a preacher. I don't want to hear it. Are there people that serve God just because he's good to them? Are you one of those? Am I one of those? What happens when we run into problems? Does it get us down? Do we want to give up or just... Do what Job did. Listen to what Job said. Job said, shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In other words, is life all honey and no bees? No work and all ease? You've got to pray for rain. You have to take the mud along with it. So he was simply saying, it's not fair just to believe in God because God's good all the time. God, there's some bad things that 
He's going to let happen to you. And here's the God is faithful. And he was his greatest source of strength. And God is our greatest source of strength. Scholars tell us, even though chronologically we know that things happened in Genesis first, but scholars tell us the book of Job was probably the first book written. The first book written. It's interesting to me, Catholics don't really believe that Job was a real person. They believe it's uh, symbolic of, of something, but Job didn't have the scriptures that we have today. He didn't have, for example, Psalms 121, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes into the hills from which cometh my strength, for my strength comes from the Lord. He didn't have verse 3 that says, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keeps thee will not slumber. God doesn't sleep or slumber. He doesn't sleep. When my wife got to the critical stage before she died, she was in a hospital bed in the den, and I was in the bedroom with the door open so I could look out and, and watch her during the night. And I would catch myself laying there uh, trying to stay awake, because if I stayed awake, I could see her, and I could see if she needed anything, and, uh, but I would find myself falling asleep. Then when I wake up, I'd get up and I'd go in there and look just to see if she was still breathing just to see if she was still alive. But think of it, God stays up 24-7 just so he can watch over us. There's nothing that's going to take God by surprise. Some, something serious happens to you, God's not going to say, wow, I, did, I didn't see that coming. No, he, he saw it coming. One of the verses I like, and I, I should have written it down, but I, I don't know where it is, but I know it's in the Bible. It says that he, he, he writes our names on the palm of his hand. I know people that make messages on the palm of their hand. You know, they don't tie a string around their finger. They'll, they'll, they'll write a prescription, you know, got to pick up my prescription. And they'll write that on the palm of their hand. Well, God doesn't have to write our name on the palm of his hand so he won't forget us. He writes our name on the palm of his hand because he loves us and he watches over us. The other night I was uh, reading John chapter 17 where Jesus said to the Father, Father, all those that you gave me, none of them were lost. I didn't lose any of them. Well, if he didn't lose any of them then, you think he's going to lose any of them today? No. He watches over us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. The Bible says his grace is sufficient to meet our what? Every need. Every single need. Listen to Proverbs 18 and verse 10. The name of the Lord is a high tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't allow us to go through problems. Sure he does. But the Bible says that he keeps us in those problems because his mercies are fresh every single day. You know the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor toward us. That's grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Not getting what we deserve. And it says that his mercies are fresh each day. Sometime in my devotional time, Rather than just getting a devotional book that, you know, somebody kind of gives me a little devotional thought, 
I like to get devotional books that just have scripture. Just read the scripture. This is one I've had for a long time. It's called Inspirational Promise Book. And I read it almost every morning. But let me just read some of the verses that remind us of the faithfulness of God. Lamentation 3, 21 through 24. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. His compassions fail not. They're new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, my hope is in him. Isaiah 54 and verse 10. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my faithfulness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on us. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He that called you is faithful and will do what he says. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9. He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations. For those who love him and keep his commandments. Joshua 23, 14. Not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord our God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. I love this one. Psalms 89, 1 and 2. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known his faithfulness to all generations. For I have said mercy, not getting what we deserve. Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness shall be established in the heavens. The word temptation and the word trial are the same word in the Greek. So the context demands whether it's a temptation or whether it's a trial. And since the Bible says that God never tempts us or is he tempted by sin, I believe the better translation of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is the word trial and not temptation. And this is how it reads. No trial will overtake you, but such is common demand. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tried beyond what you're able. But with the trial, will also make the, not a, but the way of escape that you might be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Psalms 119, verse 138. Your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. And I love this next one, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 13. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Psalms 121, 3 and 4. He will not allow your foot to be moved. We looked at that one a moment ago. He that keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall never slumber or sleep. A couple more. Psalms 37, 3 and 4, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed upon his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then lastly, Psalms 119, 90 says, your faithfulness, your faithfulness endures to all generations, which includes ours. There's beautiful examples in nature of how God takes care of us. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are eagles at Lake Waco. If you go to the right place, you'll, you will see eagles. I have a picture of an eagle uh, that was taken at Lake Waco. Here's what eagles do. When, when an eagle has uh, her, her babies, she'll put the babies in the nest, and she has this tremendous wingspan, and she'll extend her wings over the nest to cover the babies from rain or wind or hail or whatever she, she protects her 
babies with her wings. Listen to what Psalm says. He covers us with his wings. He tells us to rest in his problems. We've seen that in Abraham. We looked at Abraham last week. What, look at what all he went through. God came along one day and said, Abraham, I want to snatch you up. I want you to leave your, your related family. Just take your immediate family and, and head out. And I'll tell you when you get there, when you're there. Got to a place, had no friends, had no home. God said, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all the generations of the world through your seed. And listen to Romans chapter 4, verse 18. This is what Abraham said, Who against all hope believed in hope. Against all hope, he believed in hope. Someone said you can live about 40 days without food. You can live about three days without water, but you can't live long without hope. He also believed in the person and the provision of God. You know, a, a person's uh, promises are only as good as the person who makes them. Listen to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. It says, uh, who, can, uh, who can find a faithful man? But listen, to, uh, this, this is Psalms 116 verse 11. All men are liars. I didn't say that. He said it. Let me read it again. This is uh, Psalms 116.11. It says, all men are liars. And then Proverbs 26 asks the question, who can find a faithful man? L let me make you a promise. If you come to church long enough, somebody is going to disappoint you one day. Somebody's going to hurt your feelings one day. And the devil hopes that when they hurt your feelings, you'll quit coming to church. But we can depend upon God. He'll keep his word. He's faithful. Psalms 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. He makes promises that he keeps. But you know, the, his promises are kind of like the money that we have in the bank. In order for to use it, you have to make a demand on it. For example, you may have enough money in the bank to cover every need you have. But the money stays in the bank until you make a demand on it. You write a check. You use your debit card. You go and you make a withdrawal. The promises of God are there, but we have to make a demand on them. And we make that demand through our faith. And we believe that God said what he said he's going to do, and he's going to do it. You know, one thing I've, I've discovered about God, and I discovered this very young in my ministry, He is seldom early, but never late. Let me say it again. God is seldom early, but He's never late. We don't have, the Bible says, because we don't ask. You know, sometimes it's desperation that leads to revelation or something. So our problems... Even though we don't like them, our problems provide an invitation to explore his promises. If we never had a problem, we wouldn't know the promises, would we? I heard an interesting story about two frogs. They were hopping along in the barnyard, and they looked up and discovered the barn door was open. So they hopped into the barn, and they, there was a farmer in there milking a cow by hand. Y'all ever milked a cow by hand? 
I have. So he was milking the cow by hand. I lived on a dairy farm when I was a boy. And so, uh, but when he got through milking the cow, he, he walked away for a minute, to just, you know, tending something else. He, he left the bucket of milk sitting there. Well, the frogs jumped, you know, they came up to it, and they, one of them said, well, I wonder what's in that bucket. I don't know. Why don't you jump in there and find out for us? No, I'm not going to jump in there by myself. I tell you what we'll do. Let's both jump in there and find out what's in there. So they agreed, so they both jumped into the bucket of milk. It was warm, felt good, and they were splashing around in there, man, and just having a ball. All at once, one of them realized, I can't touch the bottom. I'm getting tired, and I can't can't keep splashing anymore. The other one said, no, man, don't give up. We've come too far. Don't don't give up. He said, it keeps flashing. He said, man, I can't. I'm I'm done. A couple of bubbles, and he's down, bottom, gone. The other one just kept splashing. The more he splashed, he began to feel something solid under his feet. And all at once, he splashed so much that the milk became butter. It became a solid and he was able to put his feet on it and jump out. Do you ever feel like you're drowning? Drowning in sorrows, drowning in debt, drowning in problems? Paul said, you'll reap if you don't give up. You'll reap in due season if you don't get up. This is the time not to give up. This is the time to really exercise our faith. And dive into the Word. You know something? I, I've been a Baptist. Uh, what, what did the guy say one day? What would I be if I wasn't a Baptist? I'd be ashamed. No, not really. <laughs> I heard a guy say that one time. Uh, but you know, Baptists, I'm just going to tell you my observation. Baptists don't know how to speak the Word over problems. They just don't. They don't know how. Maybe they haven't been taught. But they really, I have not found that many Baptists that know how to speak the word over their problems. Like Jesus said, speak to the mountain. And I really believe sometime in, in God's point of view, our problems are not as important to him as us trusting him to solve them. That's what he wants us to do. And that's where our faith comes in and that's where our faith grows. Problems give us an opportunity to trust God. Lastly, whatever the cost to solve our problem, it's already been paid. You know what man's greatest problem is? Sin. And God knew that man could never solve that problem by himself. So the Bible says that God so loved the world that he, what? he sent his only begotten son into the world died on the cross for our sins that we might have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And Jesus paid that price, the price that only he could pay. That's why I love to sing the song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. When Jesus said on the cross, it's finished, he meant it. Everything that had to be done for your salvation, for your healing, for your, your needs to be met. Everything that had to be done was done. It was complete. You know, when I get sick, what, you know what I do? I remind God of his promises. 
What about Isaiah 53 and verse 5? By his stripes we're healed. Well, you have to make a demand on that. See? And so when I get sick, I say, Lord, your word says that by your, by your son's stripes I'm healed. And I, and I make a demand on that promise. The Bible says he sent forth his word and he, he healed us. Faith, again, um, something, something else that, you know, I think Baptists can improve on is uh, praying for our bodies. I mean, seriously, uh, I, I go to very few Baptist churches that I have an altar call where I see people coming down here and people laying hands on them, anointing them with oil and praying for them. What does the Bible say? Why don't we just do what the Bible says? Any sick among you? What are you supposed to do? Call for the leadership of the church. And have the leadership of the church anoint you with oil and pray on you. And the prayer of faith will do what? It says it will heal the sick. But again, we, I don't think we put a lot of emphasis on healing because so many books have been written by Baptists that kind of denounce it. Um. I remember reading a book one time called by Herschel Hobbes and called What Baptists Believe. Well, you put five Baptists together and you're going to get seven different opinions already. And you can't speak for Baptists. Only Baptists can speak for themselves. But, but he kind of took it upon himself to write a book, What Baptists Believe. And here's what he said in the book. And, and again, he's in heaven now. He was a good man, a godly man. Uh, he said that in the New Testament, Jesus healed people. But today he heals people with medicine. They didn't have the medicine then, but we have the medicine. Well, I think, you know, I thank God for medicine. But I believe Jesus still heals. I believe he still heals. If he doesn't still heal, then he's not the same today that he was yesterday. Because I read, my Bible says he told his disciples on three occasions, three occasions, Go preach the gospel, and as you preach the gospel, heal the sick. And by the way, if there's any demon activity going on, cast out the demons. In other words, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to minister to the whole man. To the whole man. When I read the New Testament, I find that nobody that ever came to Jesus for healing got walked away disappointed. He healed the sick. Someone says, well, you know, our bodies aren't that important. Then why is he going to raise them from the, why is he going to raise them up someday? Do you realize when Jesus comes back, he's going to raise our body? If it's not important, why is he going to raise it? I think our bodies are important. And I think when the word gets out among people, hey, you know what? That church there, that church down there, they'll pray for you. If you're sick, they won't just pray for you on Wednesday night when you're not there so they can pray over you. They'll pray over you. They'll pray for you on Sunday morning when you're there. Folks, we've got to get back to ministering to the whole man. One of my favorite verses is Psalms 103. Listen to what it says. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. David is talking to himself. You ever talk to yourself? 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All of his benefits. What are his benefits? He pardons all of our iniquities. Hallelujah. Pardons all of our iniquities. He heals all of our diseases. Wait a minute. It says he heals all of our diseases. It says he redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender compassion. In other words, he does it all. You say, well, no, Barry, listen to me. Uh, is everybody, does everybody you pray for get healed? No. But let me tell you something else. <clears throat> Not everybody I witnessed who gets saved. Does that mean it wasn't God's will for them to be saved? What does the Bible say? It's not God's will for any to perish, but all to be called to repentance. God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Not everybody that I pray for, I mean, and that I witness to, gets saved. Not everybody that I pray for to be healed gets healed, but God still said, pray for the sick. And that ought to be a part of our services. It really should be. We've got to get back. As a, as a church, to praying for the whole man. There's no expiration date on the Psalms, is there? No, then there's no expiration date on my faith. Job understood that ultimate, his ultimate destiny was not the grave. I want to read it. This is a fascinating. Now, I want to be honest with you. If you read the book of Job, you'll probably go to sleep about the eighth or ninth chapter. It, it can get pretty dull. But boy, there's some verses in there that'll wake you up in a hurry. Listen to this one. This is Job chapter 19 and verse 25. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. How did Job know that? How did Job know that Jesus lives? Listen to this. At the last, he will take his stand on the earth. How did Job know that Jesus was going to come and stand on the earth? And listen to what he said. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. Here was Job thousands of years before Jesus even came on the scene saying, I know that Jesus is coming to the earth one day. And I know he's going to resurrect my body because I'm going to see him from my body as he is. Wow. What a tremendous promise from God. He never lost sight of that God, God's ultimate gift. That's what real faith is all about. What is the ultimate gift that God's given us? It's everlasting life, isn't it? God so loved the world that he gave everlasting life. And let me tell you something. The wrongs that we have been suffering in this world will be corrected in that world. You may feel broken today, but let me tell you something. You're not forsaken. And you'll never be forsaken by him. He loved you enough to send his son to die for you. If he loves you enough to send his son to die for you, don't you think he loves you enough to know where you are right now? And to help you through those problems you're going through? Sure he does. 
So don't give up. Keep splashing until the milk clavers. You have something to stand on. And you'll never stand on anything more solid than the Word of God. I promise you. I want to close today by quoting Job's own words. But before I say what he said, let me say the context in which he said it. He said to the person whose heart is right with God, to the person whose heart is right with God, these are the words he said. Only then can you forget your misery. It will all be in the past, and your life will be cloudless. Any darkness will be as bright as the morning. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today that you are our faithful God. We thank you today that you never sleep or slumber. You stay awake all day, 24-7, just so you can watch over us. We thank you, Lord, so that, that you love us so much. Your word says you, you've written our name in the palm of your hand. Father, I know there are people in this congregation that are hurting. I know that there are some that have just about come to the end of the rope. But Lord, please help them today to hang on. Hang on to that, to that trust and faith in you because you will provide. You never leave us or forsake us. And Father, if there's one person in this room today that's never opened their heart and received Jesus as their Savior, help them to realize today how simple it is to do that. Your word says that they'll just confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that you raised them from the dead. They can be saved. If that's you this morning, just say right now, silent prayers are loud in heaven. Just say right now, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying for my sins. I turn my life over to you. I ask you today to save me, to forgive me, to be my Savior and Lord. Now, Father, we ask you to just accomplish everything that's on your heart to accomplish before we leave this service today. As we sing this song of dedication to you, if there's those today that need to make a decision, need to make them public, help them to give them, give them the courage to do it today, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. And we're going to sing a song of dedication. We're, I'll be standing over here. And uh, if you need prayer today, I, you can just call me an oil slinging Baptist if you want to. But I'm going to do what the Word says. And if I get criticized for it, so be it. So be it. But if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you say. Because the next time you say it, it'll be the same. God cares about you. He, care, he knows the numbers on your head. And looking out there for some of you, that's not too hard for Him to do. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows what you're going through right now. All he wants you to do is trust him. Cast your cares upon the Lord, the Bible says. He will sustain you. Randall will be helping me in a moment after we... If you want to come during the song, come. I'll be over here and be praying for you if you need prayer. If you prayed that prayer a moment ago to receive Christ as your Savior, I want to hug you. I want to welcome you to God's holy family. Okay? Let's worship the Lord together.